Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hi. Hi, Annabelle Lee, producer, you're hello. here. Hello, hello, hello. How are we feeling, guys? Good. It's not time for it yet. I'll just no, get it's not time for it at all. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, why the Veronicas didn't talk for a year, Kylie and Travis are officially back on, Amy Schumer goes rogue on Instagram, and then a big bumper segment on the Friends reunion, how it became the biggest celebrity moment of the month and what we make of the debate about whether the show is too outdated to be loved in 2021. But first, Zara McDonald, how was your week? Mmm. Mmm. That's about all I've got. Look, a pretty terrible week. Can you get any words out this week? Well, no, not really. We're back in lockdown. We might be for a little bit now. That's okay. I think any Melbourneian who is listening right now will feel that unique sense of deja vu Mm. from last year. That small element of feeling quite triggered about last year. But we will not dwell on this because this is... A podcast full of joy, we hope, (laughs) and we are going to ignore the sadness that envelops us. Can you humour me for one non-joyful comment on COVID? To be honest, I want heaps. I just know the listeners won't. (laughs) This is so immature and I know it's not fair, but part of me does resent everyone in another state for not truly understanding what it's been like to be a Victorian since 2020. No one really gets it. We've really been hit with like the shit end of the stick. Yeah, exactly. I was in a lift the other day with you before lockdown was properly announced and I went on like this big tantrum tirade being like, they don't get it. And I was like, I'm not even really talking to anyone from another state, so I don't even know if they don't get it. But anyway, look, we will move on from that. I do have a recommendation this week. Give it to me. It's a pretty basic recommendation of the week. It's probably the most obvious recommendation of the week, but it's a tempered recommendation. Okay. It's Mayor of Easttown. The finale aired on Monday night and I did about a week ago put something on my Instagram story as I was watching. I was about 1.75 episodes (laughs) in And I said, what is with this show? What is with the hype? Do I keep watching? I got a resounding, yes, please keep watching, please keep watching. So I kept watching. And it is really good. I will say that. I do think, though, it's overhyped. And I will say that with my recommendation because I don't want anyone going into this how I went into this, reading tweets that it was like a cinematic masterpiece and the best (laughs) thing I was ever going to watch ever. I truly feel like Mayor of Easttown was something that I must have been asleep for like the three (laughs) days that everyone was watching it. I feel like I've woken from a slumber and suddenly my entire news feed is just Mayor of Easttown. I don't know what the show is about. I don't know where I can watch it. I feel like it just appeared one day and everyone's obsessed with it and I am so happy to just let it pass by (laughs) me like a slow-moving ship. I couldn't give less fucks. Yeah, it's one of those trendy shows. You know how there's always a trendy (laughs) show of the moment that does sort of pass you by? It's the sinner. It's It's the new The Sinner. (laughs) Or like Tiger King. Like it just consumes you for a certain amount of time and then, you 
know, we move on to something else. I think one of the big things about this show is that it stars Kate Winslet, which is so weird to see Kate Winslet in an American show. Mm. And she is incredible in this, like in a role that you've never really seen her in before. And I do love seeing that. It's about a small town, a detective oh, in God. a small town. East Town? Is that what East it's called? East Town. <laughs> Kate Winslet's character is called Mare. So oh, Mare of East Town. Her name is Mare. I know, super weird. And it's basically about like true crimey sort of thingy. <laughs> anyway, how was your week? Oh, my week was much like your <laughs> week. Annabelle, how was your week? Yeah, pretty eh. <laughs> not much to report. It is one of those weeks where I've found myself, because there's nothing to do, we're all in our homes, I've found myself just watching the weirdest shit. Like I watched a half hour video of Courtney Kardashian and Miranda Kerr talking about wellness and how like yes, their the blood two people you want to be talking about <laughs> wellness publicly. They're talking about their blood type and how because of their blood type they believe that they shouldn't eat red meat. And I found myself sitting there just watching all of it, like not moving my finger to change the video, but also being like, I do not like this content. Why am I watching this? It's just like I found myself down a bunch of rabbit holes this week. Most of them Olivia Rodrigo related. Just back on the red meat thing. Is there a doctor that would back that up? I think it's like an alternative wellness therapy that your blood type determines your diet. So they were all like on board being like, we're A positive or A negative. I don't remember. Is that a blood type? They were like, we're A something. And obviously we can't and shouldn't eat red meat. And I was like, how did I find myself here and how do I get back home? Yeah, do not try this at home. (laughs) Get your health advice from doctors. I do have a recommendation that I did find on YouTube though shortly after the Miranda and Courtney saga. Vogue have a YouTube series called Celebrity Breaks Down 13 Looks. So the celebrity kind of changes with every single episode. There's one with Naomi Campbell. There's one with Cindy Crawford. They look back on the most iconic fashion looks from their career and kind of talk you through the story, talk you through the moment, how they found themselves to be wearing that outfit. And it's just such a fun series to watch and go through every single person. Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell would be my favourite, but it's very much like the supermodels of the 80s and 90s. Yeah, nice. I love that. I'm actually going to check that out because I do love myself in a supermodel 90s story, (laughs) (laughs) a random niche of a story. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into the first segment of the show. We are talking about the Veronicas and their admissions this week about why they didn't speak for a year. The Veronicas, of course, are on Celebrity Apprentice, so they are doing all the corresponding press around it, Mish, and were on 60 Minutes on Sunday night. So on 60 Minutes, Lisa and Jess both addressed their, are we going to call it a feud? I mean, that's what tabloids have been calling it for years. I feel like if you're not talking for a year, it's more than a feud. It's a rift. Okay, let's use the word rift. About their rift from 2017. So this all came about back in 2017 as a quick refresher when Jess was dating Ruby Rose, the actress Ruby Rose, of course, who was one of the country's biggest exports. This was when Ruby Rose was basically at the peak of her global career. She was starring in Orange is the New Black. She was also in Pitch Perfect 3. This actually does feel like a while ago now, doesn't it? Yeah, she was the biggest star to be in Hollywood and be Australian, right? So she had also just been announced as Batwoman in that television series. It only lasted two seasons. But that announcement of Ruby Rose's Batwoman came about at the same time as Pitch Perfect and Orange is the New Black. So everyone was watching on from Australia being like, oh, my God, we've done it. Like a new Nicole Kidman yeah. is up there. And then all of a sudden she was being connected to Jess from the Veronica's. They were together between late 2016 and early 2018, so about a year and a half, and it was pretty clear halfway through their relationship that Ruby Rose and Jess being together had somehow soured Jess's relationship with her twin Lisa. Exactly. So speaking to 60 Minutes this week, Jess said she didn't talk to her sister for more than a year while she was dating Ruby Rose. Her quote was, when you have a twin, you've got a backup for everything, but sometimes to evolve as an individual and to find the love myself I needed to find, I needed to just go through the experience for myself, which feels like a very vague and diplomatic way to say, I needed to experience some things for myself before we came back together. Diplomatic given we know that at the time this was not diplomatic. Like this feud slash rift slash screaming match spilled out onto social media in 2017. Do you guys remember the tweet from Ruby Rose? I'd completely forgotten this until we researched this segment. Ruby Rose tweeted 
So glad to see Lisa screaming in excitement about the yes vote after telling us she thinks we should feel lucky we don't get stoned to death like they do in other countries and to get over it a few months ago really warms my heart. So that was, as you say, in response to Australia's plebiscite on gay marriage and that was from 2017. I had completely forgot that tweet as well until I dug it back up this week. Lisa had to respond to this because obviously it made news everywhere. She said... This past week, I have been accused of making intolerant statements and holding intolerant views. I did not make those statements and I do not hold those views. Sexuality has never played a factor in my acceptance of people and their relationships. At the time, the public and the media realised that Lisa and Jess didn't follow each other on Instagram after it was announced that their fourth studio album was delayed. So we got this news in 2017 that their fourth studio album was going to be delayed. People thought maybe there was some personal issues, some health issues with their mum, and then we realised they didn't follow each other on Instagram and that's how this whole thing kind of kicked off publicly. Which to me feels like it's more intense than when siblings just don't get along. Like when you have siblings in a band or you've got, I don't know, a romantic relationship in a band and things have soured, that's interesting enough. When you have identical twins, who are not speaking, not following each other on social media, having their partner blast the other on Twitter, it feels like a hypercharged story. Yeah, exactly. So Lisa said to 60 Minutes that that time was heartbreaking. She said, I don't know if there are any words for how hard that was. It's heartbreaking. She's my best friend. So not being able to reach out and check in to see how she's doing or tell her what's going on with me was hard. We weren't able to create. We weren't able to perform. I mean, we couldn't be together. We had to have things on hold. Mm. Huge credit to them, genuinely for being able to not just go through a period like this, a whole year where it was clearly very, very bad, come back together and be able to talk about it but still have a really successful career after the rift. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that they actually patched things up and can now be on a reality show together. And, I mean, it's tricky. Anytime you're on a reality show with anyone, it reminds me of The Block, there are parts of your relationship that are going to be shown to the public that aren't exactly sweet and kind and fluffy (laughs) like the Veronicas have had some interesting tension between them while on the show. But I think it's a testament to them and to what they've built together that they can be at a point now where they're willing to let the public back into that sisterly relationship and that bond because this wasn't possible at all just four years ago. Well, I feel like you'd have to be very secure in that relationship to show the warts and all, Mm. knowing that people are going to be like, oh, are they going to fall out again? Is something else going to happen? They did say that the reason that they got back together was because they started making music again, that they just got back into a studio and they were able to heal because of music. But a pretty rough thing to do and credit to them for talking about this because I think a lot of families go through riffs like this and not a lot of people talk about it because it's like a deeply uncomfortable conversation, I think, for us still. Mm, It'd be very interesting to know what Ruby Rose thinks about this or what her stance on this is. The last time we actually saw the twins interact with Ruby Rose in the public domain was again an incredibly charged moment. This was in 2018 and on Instagram. Ruby Rose commented on a photo of Jess kissing her new partner at the time and wrote, congratulations, so happy for you both. Jess responded by saying, at Ruby Rose, I have requested you to not contact me for over four months now. You have been given my grace of being ignored on every other private platform. So the fact you continue to ignore this and to contact me here publicly under the guise of wishing me well is continued harassment. I would love to know if there has been any contact since then or what Ruby Rose would think about the interview they did or if she's ever going to comment on it because I would have lots of questions for her. Coming up after the break are Travis and Kylie officially back together and then a big bumper segment on that Friends reunion. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories in the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Michelle Lockdown Andrews, it had to be done. So depressing. (laughs) What? We're hardly not. (laughs) What have you got for me? My first story. Kylie Jenner is very happy with Travis Scott as Pear spends holiday with Stormy, according to Source. That is from People magazine. So we think they're back together or are they just holidaying with their child and being really mature co-parents? I don't know. It's kind of confusing, but I kind of love this from Kylie and Travis. They're very ambiguous and they've never really confirmed. So a brief timeline refresher for those who want it, which is all of you because we all love a Kylie Jenner story. 
Kylie and Travis were first connected in April 2017 when they were at Coachella together. By February 2018, so what, 10 months since they met, they had their baby Stormy. She was born in Feb 2018. By October 2019, they had broken up. They reportedly got back together briefly last March, March 2020, when the first COVID lockdown hit around the world. Now it seems like they're definitely back on. So since March 2020, there have been rumours that they're kind of seeing each other or keeping it casual or trying to co-parent in a really intimate way. Now, though, it does seem like sources close to the family have said, yes, they are back and they are monogamous. So I think one of the big reasons this is making headlines this week is because they posted a water balloon fight <laughs> to their Instagram stories. I love my job. I love stick my with job. us. Stick with us. <laughs> While they holiday together. I mean, sure, that seems like confirmation enough. Can I read out the quotes from the source, please? Please. Kylie and Travis continue to spend a lot of quality family time together, the source said, adding that Jenna is very happy with Scott. They are not putting any pressure on their relationship. They get along and things are great. They want to be as present as possible for Stormy. Kylie and Travis have worked hard to create a great family situation. They love each other. Everyone is proud of how mature they are. Stormy is the happiest little girl. It's all benefiting her. Dare I say, I'm all for Stormy's happiness. I love that small child and I'm happy. Stop looking at me like you don't care. No, I do. I actually do care. But I think that quote very much reads to me as not a confirmation they're back together, just that they're doing mature things being co-parents. They love each other. They love each other, but that's not saying they're dating again. Not one part of this story has said they're dating again. They're not putting any pressure on their relationship. I think that says... They're dating, but they're not putting pressure you on You said it. before this, so they're back together and they're monogamous <laughs> and they're back on. I don't think they are at all. I mean, it does feel like a very mature way to go about co-parenting whatever is happening. It does feel like they're very much trying to put the child first, but there's not one part of me in here in this story <laughs> that has me convinced they're back together. Did you know, Annabelle Lee, I'm not going to talk mm-hmm. to Zara for a little bit, <laughs> did you know that there's a bit of an age gap between Kylie and Travis? No, I did not. Can I guess what it is? Yes. Sure. Eight years. Oh, damn it. It's only six. <laughs> oh. Kylie's 23, Travis. Travis is 29. I just thought they were the same age. I don't know why. Yeah, I didn't really think about it. Anyway, it's because she seems mature. She She does seem mature. mature. Moving right along. My second story. (laughs) Amy Schumer jokingly lashes out at Emma Stone, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski in Instagram posts. That is from Nine Celebrity. So an interesting story coming out of LA at the moment. Amy Schumer went on this tirade, (laughs) but like not tirade at all, on her Instagram stories and posts this week and took aim at a couple of celebrities but as a joke, she said. So the first thing she posted on her Instagram story was this. It is well known Emma Stone is a toxic person, but Disney Cruella is amazing. (laughs) Now, reportedly, I will say that Emma Stone and Amy Schumer are quite close, Mm. like quite close friends. She didn't tag Emma Stone on this because Emma Stone doesn't have Instagram. I guess this was just a joke. Yeah. So Emma Stone is starring in Disney's remake of Cruella de Vil at the moment. So you could say this was Amy Schumer's odd way of promoting (laughs) her friend's film. But isn't it weird to kind of say Emma Stone is a toxic person and make a joke at your friend's expense on a platform where they aren't even living? Like Emma Stone isn't on Instagram. She's not going to see this. So why make a joke calling her a toxic person if there's no like witty banter between her and Emma Stone to show that it's just a joke? Well, yeah, I kind of agree with that. And then the second thing that came along was about John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. She wrote, I loved every second of a Quiet Place movie, even better than the first one, which blew me away. That's lovely. Amazing to be in a movie theatre, even lovelier. And although I've said for a long time, I think Emily and John have a pretend marriage for publicity, but I still think you should see it this rainy weekend. I kind of love this. I love it. It's funny. Yeah, it didn't make sense at all so they also weren't tagged John responded jumping in on the joke being like oh Amy Schumer's blown her cover ha 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 (laughs) but then the post disappeared yeah well then she deleted the post within a couple of hours of putting them up because everyone on Twitter was like Amy Schumer causes feud with John Krasinski and it clearly just wasn't landing I'd love that out of everyone Annabelle you're the one who's like this is funny I get it I don't get this at all this seems like Amy Schumer's humor just saying like outlandish things and being like yeah it was sarcasm it's very much like 
I'm just going to drop a funny bomb and then leave the room. Yeah. Like It seems like comedy purely for her laughter and no <laughs> yes, one else's. I agree with that because then people like John Krasinski, Emily Blunt and Emma Stone have to sort of correct the record for themselves <laughs> being like, she was joking, I'm not that toxic. It's a bit troll-like. It's very troll-like. I'm pretty sarcastic and dry at the best of times and I will always like jib people if that's even a word, whatever it is, <laughs> especially people that I'm much closer to. But calling someone toxic on a platform where you have millions of people knowing full well that some people might take it seriously, I don't know. I'm just a bit like, it's pretty rogue. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I love that you get it, Annabelle Lee. I do not get it at all. My third story, Missy Higgins discusses speculation about her sexuality on Aunt's Brush with Fame. That is from news.com.au. If you are confused, you might be living in another country and Aunt's Brush with Fame doesn't stir up any memories or images for you. Ando's Brush with Fame is one of the best shows on Australian television. I'm just going to go out on the limb and the say show. that. It is epic. So Ando is a television presenter and a comedian And he has this incredible idea, incredible concept where he sits down with an influential person and as he interviews them, paints their portrait in the most abstract, beautiful, incredible way. He is just like an incredible mind and an incredible artist. Yeah. And the paintings are incredible. Mm. Like he's so talented. Again, one person with too much talent in the one brain. In an episode that aired this week, Missy Higgins, the iconic Australian singer Missy Higgins, one of my all-time favourite Australian singers, (laughs) reflected on her insane success at the youngest of ages. She was 21 when her 2004 album Sound of White came out. I mean, that was a nine times platinum debut album, one of the greatest albums of all time. I don't know how much more I can hype up Missy Higgins. But I just didn't realise how young she was when she was experiencing this much. I mean, I remember listening to an episode of The Imperfects where they interviewed her and she spoke about how much fame really got to her at that age and she really, really struggled with being so famous so young. But Mm. I hadn't heard her talk about her sexuality in the way she did with Ando. Do you guys remember this? I remember being a child on the way to a netball game. I would have been maybe a young teenager or maybe on the cusp of puberty. I remember hearing a radio interview or a radio discussion where the hosts were like speculating, is Missy Higgins gay? Is Missy Higgins bi? Like what's going on with her sexuality? Oddly enough, this was such a talking point in the media, like talking about this very, very young woman's sexuality and making it such a focus of her brand. It was an obsession, I think. That's what I remember of being quite young. I mean, in 2004, I was 10, I think. So I was young, but I remember this. And she told Ando, everyone was speculating about my sexuality, which was just such a personal thing and such a thing I was grappling with. All the journalists were trying to get an answer from me. They all wanted me to say that I was gay and to come out loud and proud, but I was still figuring it out myself. And I felt so much pressure to put myself in a box and put a label on it. Yeah. She went on, every time I did an interview, I was in shock down mode because they were probing, trying to get me to slip up, trying to get me to say a pronoun, you know. I'd be like, how do I describe what this song's about without saying she? It was so traumatic in a way. That became my persona. Shutting down in that way meant I wasn't going to be able to express myself because that would make me way too vulnerable. Missy Higgins did end up coming out. She spoke to a publication, Cherie, in October 2007 and agreed with the interviewer's assertion that she was, and I quote, not so straight. The month after, this is so 2007, she updated her sexuality on her MySpace page to say bisexual. Yeah, that is so 2007. I mean, this is such a hard story to look back on because Mm. the media were completely awful about it and I can't even imagine how traumatic it would be for someone like her who was trying to express herself through her music but then probably trying to catch herself as she's expressing herself because she's like how are people going to read into this and what are people going to try and extract from it also weird to think back to my mind at the time as an impressionable young person because I remember hearing these conversations and instantly thinking that it mattered like on some level we should discuss this or it's noteworthy or newsworthy because someone's sexuality matters beyond however they want to live their life which is just so patently untrue and I wonder what we do to young people when we have those kind of conversations like it's very very interesting to now 17 years on look at this and go 
wow, how fucked up to grow up in that world that's telling you this matters, this matters, this matters, and we need to get to the bottom of it. And also it's perfectly okay for it to be up for public conversation. Yeah. Like that your life can be something that can be unpacked and unpicked like this. Yeah, when you're so young yourself. Good on her for being so strong despite all of that. I can't imagine going through that at such a young age. My fourth story, Martha Kalafatidis reignites feud with Sunrise host <laughs> David Koshy Kosh. That is also from news.com today, you. I mean, <laughs> this is one of my favourite stories of you the week. You fought I for this to be in the quick and dirty. So please tell oh, us why please. you fought you for You love it. this story too. <laughs> I just love Martha. Anything yeah. Martha does, I'm like, give it to me. Exactly. So in case you didn't know that Martha and Koshy were in a feud they are. Do we need to say who Martha is? For yeah, those well, who are <laughs> I don't even think we need to introduce her to our audience, but she is the former Married at First Sight star. We've had her on the podcast before. That was a great in conversation <laughs> just to plug our own old content. So she and Koshi have been in this feud since 2019. And the reason that this feud, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, started <laughs> was because Koshi accused Martha of elbowing him on the Logie's red carpet. He said on Sunrise, on morning breakfast television, national television. I've still got bruises in the ribs from the married at first sight woman who elbowed me on the way through. I had no idea who she was. Now, this was a pretty bitchy conversation on Sunrise, I will say. Nat Barr jumped in saying Martha was fierce and had attitude on the red carpet. Sports presenter Mark Beretta also joked, do not get between Martha and a camera. And then Sam Armitage, the former TV host, chipped in with, especially when you've only got 15 minutes of fame. Martha hit back in a YouTube video, as of course, titled <laughs> My, <laughs> My Final Say to Koshi and Sunrise. She denied the incident ever happened and she said, Koshi refused to apologise for lying about the elbowing incident. He just thinks I don't deserve an apology. It's at the expense of my well-being, and it's not fair. He just thinks that because I was on a reality show and I'm a reality TV star that I don't deserve to get an apology from him. Perhaps that I'm beneath him. I'm a person and I have feelings and Sam and Kosh have caused me so much stress and anxiety these past few days and I just feel like it's so unnecessary. Like for what? For ratings. I think she's bang on that certain people in the media talk down to reality stars. They almost think that reality stars are the bottom of the tree and that they've worked harder or done something to get their level of a platform. So to see people become famous overnight because they're on a show about getting married to a stranger irks them. Like they don't like that these people become famous through just having interesting personalities. I agree with you there. So the feud has been sort of reignited this week <laughs> because Martha is also on Celebrity Apprentice. Celebrity Apprentice has got far too many shout outs on this show at the moment. You guys need to be watching it. <laughs> and so she, as part of her publicity, was on the Kyle and Jackie O show. So she appeared on Kyle and Jackie O on Monday morning and she was challenged by the Kiss FM hosts to call five different celebrities in her phone. If all five answered, she would win $2,000 for her favourite charity, <laughs> Bully Zero. Now, one of those celebrities was Koshi. So she called Koshi, but it went to voicemail, I think probably because breakfast radio was on at the same time as breakfast television and Koshi's not just answering his phone in the morning while he's on air. And she left him a message saying... Hey, buddy, it's Martha Califatitas calling you here from Carl and Jackie O. Just wanted to call you up. We are working with Bully Zero, an amazing charity. We thought this would be a great opportunity for you to clean up on air that I never elbowed you on the red carpet and you clearly did that for clickbait and for some attention, which you got. <laughs> oh, my God. So that was it. <laughs> My fifth story. Yeah. <laughs> Back on Michael Clark and ex-wife Kylie spark reconciliation rumours as they enjoy a cosy weekend away at a $2,400 per night Palm Beach mansion after his split from Pip Edwards. That is from the Daily Mail. Do we care about this? Absolutely we do. <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> All right, Annabelle. Annabelle. You just tune out for the next two minutes and we've got this. Do you care, Michelle? I think I care, but I don't know why. All right, so let's go into the story first before we talk about why we think we care. So Michael Clark, the very famous former Australian cricketer, separated from his wife Kylie in September 2019 after seven years of marriage. They were papped on the weekend on a romantic or family getaway, we're not sure, a la Kylie Jenner and Travis mm. Scott in Sydney's Palm Beach. Their five-year-old daughter, Kelsey Lee, was also there. 
they spent time in a $13 million mansion owned by former Crown Resorts chairman Rob Rankin, which costs $2,400 a night. It's a nice life. It's, it's a, a very, very nice it's life. It's a lovely life. So in the pap photos, you see them going on several outings to the local shopping centre or shopping precinct. And according to onlookers who were apparently interviewed by the Daily Mail, they look to be very much an item, not just friendly exes. <laughs> How do I buy this though? I know it's the Daily Mail and so much of the stuff they report on it is just total bullshit. Why do I believe this? Like looking at the pap shots of Michael and Kylie together, I do get romantic vibes. Is that stupid? No, I think they would have seen the paps after a little bit. I don't think they would have set these up by any stretch because the photos just don't look set up in any way. But I think they would have known and I think they would have just been happy to look like a happy family. But then maybe that's what they want to give off, that they are two co-parents, again, that are just doing best by their daughter. That said... It's pretty intimate going away all together, isn't it? It's not just like having dinner together, going on a holiday together, being all in the same house. I mean, I wouldn't do it with my ex. Well, this is definitely one of those occasions where I feel like every shameless listener above the age of 40 who does co-parent is totally rolling their eyes at us right now. I think it's one thing to be mature. Don't get me wrong about that. It's one thing to be like, if you are able to go out for dinner together, have family things together, but to go on holiday together is a next step up, I would say. Yeah, interesting. This will be a great one for your, say, Friday. Is it normal? or is it completely platonic to stay in the same house as your ex on a holiday together? Are we just young and immature or is this something to raise an eyebrow at? Well, they've just recently split, particularly Michael Clark, with his ex, Pip Edwards. They were dating for a while and that was all over the Daily Mail when they were dating. Kylie dated a V8 supercar driver by the name of James Courtney They dated for about six weeks, but it didn't stop them from creating their own couple nickname on Instagram. (laughs) They, when they were dating, called themselves (laughs) Jaylee and would write stuff in their captions. The hashtag Jaylee Northern New South Wales tour continues. And then like another caption that read, so many reasons to smile, the laughter never stops. Hashtag (laughs) Jaylee. Jaylee didn't last that long. But I think even because they've both had former partners, now they're single, it's different too. Feels like a great opportunity for me to remind everyone that Mitch and my hashtag would be hashtag Michelle Andrees. Yeah, I love that. Michelle Andrees. It actually works. Oh, I love it. Anyway. Look at your face. You're just like, amazing. <laughs> Incredible. Never been done before. Is that all we've got? Yeah, because you brought all the five stories. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Wrap it up. (laughs) Thank you, next bitch. If there's one thing you can't escape this week, it's Friends Nostalgia. With the reunion of the much-loved sitcom airing on HBO last week, social media has been awash with conversations about everything from the show's most iconic scenes to where the stars are now. But, of course, in celebrating more than 26 years of being on our screens, many of the jokes and the storylines in one of TV's most loved comedies haven't aged well. So let's talk about two things today, Mish. First, how we navigate loving a show that wouldn't fly today. And Secondly, why the sitcom itself still has such an enduring love across generations. Shall we start with the naysayers? Please, can we start with the naysayers? (laughs) I want to read out one passage that I read from Will Self in the Sunday Times. He wrote this. Frankly, if you enjoyed this nauseating pantomime of youthful (laughs) comedy, you need your head examined. And if you thrill to it again now the eponymous pals are middle-aged, you probably require a lobotomy. I loathed Friends in real time, 10 seasons incredibly between 1994 and 2004, and I loathed it socially and psychologically as much as ideologically. I love that there are some people out there who hate Friends and this is like their (laughs) self-branding mechanism. They're like, I hate this show and everyone else is stupid for loving it. Yeah, I think the people that hate Friends sort of sit in two camps. You've got the harshness of someone (laughs) saying that I need a lobotomy. And then you've also got people with very legitimate concerns, right? Like you've got people who say it's outdated and I would agree with them. I don't watch it or enjoy it nearly as much today as I once did. I watch it. Do you, Annabelle? I do. Yeah, But you can understand, obviously, the ongoing gay jokes, the intense fat phobia, the whiteness of the cast. That is stuff that's naturally going to be up for conversation. And I think... It's an interesting world we find ourselves in now when we're looking at a show that was made 30 years ago, Mm. nearly 30 years ago, because it's like, okay, well, what do you make of comedy that did fly then that would never fly now? And I think 
First and foremost, I wonder if this was a show running today. I mean, I think you guys might disagree with me. I don't think I'd love it nearly as much as I once did. No, but I don't think the show today would look anything like what it did 27 years ago. And the creators of the show have said that themselves. Again, totally fair enough. If people think it's outdated, they're right. It's 27 years outdated because it's 27 years old. If they don't want to watch it today or they don't like it for those reasons, I think that is absolutely valid and absolutely fair. I do think it's worthwhile actually listening to what the creators of the show have said about this though, because some of them are the first people to put their hands up and say, yes, we would do it differently today. So the Hollywood Reporter spoke to the creators of the show, Marta Kaufman and David Crane this week, along with the executive director, Kevin Bright. The question was, when you look back at the casting, the one thing Friends was criticised about was the fact that this is an all-white heteronormative cast. Was that a conscious choice? Kaufman's response was really great. She said, no, there are many things that I could say, but if only I knew then what I know now. Back then there was no conscious decision. She went on, there are probably a hundred things I would do differently. I've talked about it in the past and I do have very strong feelings about my participation in a system, but it comes down to I didn't know what I didn't know. If we did Friends Today, I don't imagine they would end up being an all-white cast. She also addressed this last year in an interview with the BBC where she said, I just wish I knew then what I know now, I would have made very different decisions. And I think as frustrating as that is, that's the truth. 27 years ago, we weren't in the place that we are now. And to expect every piece of art or television or music that was made 27 years ago lives up to today's standard is not a very realistic expectation for me. Yeah. And I think two things right now, I'll not disparage anyone who says, I don't want to watch that show because of what it looks like or what it sounds like. Like, I think that's totally fair. But I also won't disparage the 13-year-old me who found real comfort in this show. I think that 13-year-old who was probably a little lost or probably a little lonely, who found this show an escape from just about everything. Like, I find it very hard to take out 2021's problems with a TV show on a teenager who was using the show to mask whatever I wanted to mask by diving into the show. It feels a little harsh doing that, like to take it out on the people that found comfort at a certain point in their life. I think we can live in a world where you can say, I once found comfort in something that hasn't aged the best. Like I think both of those things can be true, that you found comfort in it and you can understand that it hasn't aged very well. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation with Flex Mommy for a project that we're releasing in the next Ooh, couple of weeks. Couple of weeks. Ooh. Yeah. And <laughs> clickbait. I know, so much clickbait. But she was talking about Twilight and she spoke about how she never wants to deprive herself her love for Twilight, mm. that even though conversations about Twilight now exist in a sphere of X was really problematic or this is not a good storyline or whatever, she said... I don't want to deprive myself of that. And it also reminds me of the conversations we've had, the many, many arguments that have come out after JK Rowling's really horrendous comments about trans women. And it's like, okay, we can now have individual relationships with content and with stories that can exclude JK Rowling. Like Mm. you can have a one-on-one relationship with that show or with that book where if you found comfort in that, that still matters, but you can still acknowledge at the same time that something is a bit problematic. I think with friends as well, it can also in some ways be a helpful exercise to look at this stuff and think, wow, that wouldn't happen today. And thank God, like we're in a warmer friendlier place literally with the content we put out into the world because we don't make jokes at people's expenses so much and I feel like that was a weakness of friends that a lot of the jokes were at someone's expense and sometimes those people were minorities. Yeah let's talk about the reunion itself because I think one thing they did want to try to hit on the head was that it's not just one type of person that likes this show. No lots of people around the world from all walks of life have found this show really comforting and really nourishing at different points particularly as teenagers which was a really lovely thread I think throughout. I mean, they had the activist Malala. I know. (laughs) That was so random. So random, but so great to hear how she and her best friend have bonded over friends and how they absolutely adored the storyline. Same thing with Mindy Kaling. Like, I loved her being involved, along with other, like, random celebrities like David Beckham. (laughs) David Beckham was quite random. (laughs) It was the most star-studded reunion. I was just not expecting, like... Justin Bieber walking out in a potato costume or Cindy Crawford, second mention for Cindy Crawford in today's episode, walking down in Ross's leather pants. Like the star-studded nature of this reunion really took me by surprise. 
but I did enjoy the fact that it showed that all kinds of people have loved this show for decades. Yeah, I had a pretty low bar when it came to coming into this reunion. Like I had no idea what to expect. I think I thought that because we know reunions generally are a bit average. This in particular was so much better than I thought. And I do wonder genuinely if it's because I watched this on Friday night It was the first night of our re-lockdown, our fourth lockdown, and going back in time to something that had been really comforting for me at, what, 12 or 13, finding that sense of nostalgia was just like the perfect remedy. Mm. But basically, if you didn't watch it, what happened was it was an interview with the stars facilitated by James Corden, interspersed with footage of them seeing the set for the first time in 17 years, them doing table reads and reminiscing. There was, as you say, cameos from so many celebrities. There was a fashion run way. I think my favourite part about it all was when James Corden was introducing the stars of the show and he's like, now let me welcome. And he started with Jennifer Aniston and then the crowd just went wild and you could not hear anyone else's name. And she just came out like first really powerfully and it's like she's obviously the most famous star in this by so far. (laughs) One thing that really struck me was when they were talking about how when they cast the different actors for Friends, Courtney Cox was the biggest celebrity on the show, but they were like cognizant to not make it the Courtney Cox show and they like didn't want her to be the standout star. I wonder if it would have been difficult for Courtney Cox coming into a show as the biggest star to then see your best friend and the woman you're acting alongside become literally one of the biggest celebrities in the world. Like how would that go psychologically when yes you're at an incredible place in your career but this person is overtaking you well I think a lot of it comes down to the characters that they were playing like people loved the character of Monica but people much preferred the character of Rachel I think and I think that's the way you just sort of make sense of it in your own mind Mm. I mean I want to talk about the fact that Jennifer Aniston and David Schwimmer just randomly said they had feelings (laughs) for each other do you buy that yeah yeah I wonder if maybe they found each other attractive. They needed some kind of storyline for this show and suddenly it was kind of hyped up a little bit more than what it was in real time. I think it was hyped up more than what had ever happened. I thought it was hilarious when Jennifer Aniston and David Schwimmer were talking about how they had feelings with each other. I think David Schwimmer's quote was they were like two boats passing in the night because they were both with partners at the time and nothing ever happened. Poor partners. And then, yeah, but I think those partners like Brad Pitt are fine. Oh, Um, yeah, true. (laughs) And Matt LeBlanc just went like, cough bullshit or something. Did you hear that? Yeah. And then he said he was joking, but I was like, does this mean they slept together? Like, I do need to know. I know it's weird. I need to know if Jen Aniston and David Schwimmer slept together. I think they absolutely would have. I don't think they'd be talking about this if they hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I don't think the relationship was much. Maybe it was just like they slept together when they were both single for like a hot minute and then nothing else happened. Right. I do love it though. It does make the Ross and Rachel thing even more potent. They just don't seem like they fit that well though. Yeah, no, they don't at all. Their personality, I mean, I think David Schwimmer's quite into David Schwimmer, to be honest. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so mean. I do want to talk about Matthew Perry. I feel like a lot of people on social media were commenting on Matthew Perry's appearance, but also the way that he was kind of socialising with the rest of the cast, making comments that maybe he felt a little bit awkward or a little bit left out or a bit like a loner on the set. I think it's really important to remember that it's quite incredible that Matthew Perry's even alive today. We know that Matthew Perry has struggled with personal issues relating to alcohol and drugs since the show became a massive hit, like since 1997. We also know that in the second last season, Chandler, his character, was moved interstate to Tulsa for work. And I'm putting that in inverted commas. But in reality, that was to give Matthew Perry less screen time so he could attend a facility. Like this is something he's been struggling with for so long. We know that he's been to rehab multiple times since he left the show. We know that he's dedicated so much of his life to helping other addicts as well. It's a good story that he's even present and even on the reunion episode at all. Yeah, and I think in comparison to the stars like Lisa Kudrow and Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox in particular, he hasn't been in front of a screen in the same way they have for a long time. Like Mm. I imagine it would take some retraining to find that camera charisma again or that comfortableness in front of a camera. So I think the people who are wondering if Matthew Perry wasn't okay could easily answer their own question with that sense of practice. Yeah, I mean, he was probably completely like a fish out of water because he hadn't done it in so long. It's like learning to swim again. So as much as I understand why people wanted to talk about it, I think it's important that we kind of keep that front of mind when we do 
bring up Matthew Perry in our conversations. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about the enduring love of this show that so many of us have because I can't think of a show, maybe Seinfeld, Mm. that has such a cult following this many years on, like how something can stick to different generations in almost the same way. I mean, as we said, Friends ran from 1994 to 2004, but what's most interesting is that it dropped on Netflix in 2015 where it found a whole new legion of fans. Adam Sternberg wrote this incredible piece for Vulture in 2016 to celebrate, I was going to say to celebrate the 20th anniversary, but my maths doesn't quite add up, whatever, <laughs> he just, to just celebrate the show. And he wrote, the show's length corresponds almost exactly with that transformational decade when people went from signing up for this weird new thing called email to signing up for this weird new thing called Facebook. Mm. I mean, I think that has a huge role to play. Like the exact decade that this existed was incredibly transformational. At the time that it aired, episodes typically had around 25 to 30 million viewers a week. Yeah. It feels like the most perfect time capsule. It feels like the most glowy golden era of technology to your point, Zara, where there are some cell phones in Friends and there are mentions of emails, but we were like pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, pre-everything existing online and everyone being attached to their phones. Like I do not think a show like Friends could be written at all in the same way in 2021 because friendships don't look the same. And while that's fine, like I'm not going to sit here and be like mobile phones are the worst. Yeah, It's fine. Connection is great across your phones. It doesn't make for good TV. And so to write Friends Today wouldn't be realistic unless everyone was attached to their phones 24-7. I think for 90s kids as well, this feels recent enough in that we do have those touch points of like the internet being referenced and stuff like that without feeling too distant. Like I watch some shows from the 80s and it just feels like a completely different universe. Friends hits that point that reminds us of our childhood. And for a lot of us, our childhood was the most stress-free time in our lives. Well, I think also 90s fashion has really come back Mm. at the moment. I mean, I haven't seen as many 90s throwback photos on Instagram as I have in the last sort of six months. And I think there has to be something in how the photos we see of that time kind of look how we want to look now. Like they're wearing clothes we'd happily wear now. And we see ourselves in a time that actually feels more simple. So it's like, okay, I love that outfit. I love how her hair looks, but also that looks like a better time anyway. Like I think the enduring love of this show comes down to, yes, the perception that life was easier back then. The show itself also wasn't particularly gritty. Like it was completely unbelievable in many ways. It was a sitcom and I don't think we demand that of TV anymore. I think we demand far more complexity of TV now than we ever have, which in many ways is a great thing, speaking to the first part of this segment. But in other ways where it's just like happy endings all around, nothing particularly dramatic happens, we don't really have that. Well, you think about the era that Friends was written and created in. This was when the Iraq war was happening, 9-11. None of that is mentioned once. It's almost timeless because no current affairs, not even an election in 10 seasons, not a single presidential election is mentioned. And yes, I think that serves all kinds of audiences because it is completely apolitical, but it also just feels like incredibly stress-free. Not even money stresses <laughs> come into friends and it makes no sense. Oh, like these people have no money and yet they're living in massive New York apartments. Well, there's like this one episode that I remember that I read a piece from Wesley Morris, who is the culture writer for the New York Times, and he spoke about this episode where Rachel, Joey and Phoebe were sitting around one end of a table out for dinner and Monica, Chandler and Ross were sitting around the other and he could almost divide the table in half between who had money and who hadn't. Mm. And it was like that awkward friendship thing where three of them ordered really cheap things on the menu, the other three ordered heaps and heaps of wine. And even the way they were able to have that conversation being like, guys, we don't want to pay what you did wasn't a stressful conversation. And you can imagine and you know how much people lose sleep over that today. Like that kind of social interaction is one that weighs on people quite heavily but in this tv show it was just like a oh yeah yeah so easy (laughs) I mean I think just on that same point of it being sort of a neat bow everything being a neat bow in this show the enduring love of this show has to come down to like known outcomes right like I openly joke about how I don't love tv that stresses me out I mean I did recommend Mayor of Easttown today but I did have my like 
phone in my hand so that I could dive into something less stressful when Mm. the stressful parts of the show presented themselves. Mm. But when Lisa Kudrow said on this reunion that she doesn't think there'll be a reboot and this was quoting the creators of the show because you'd have to untangle all those happy endings, I was like, oh, my God, of course. Like the beauty of this show is that there wasn't much complexity to the storylines and in order to create a reboot for people who are in their 40s and 50s when life hasn't always been that kind, you have to untangle all of that and find unhappiness in order for it to be interesting. And it's like, I don't want that. Yeah, and I have massive respect for the show's creators doing that as well. Like yeah. I love when a series and long-time listeners of Shameless will know this about me. My favourite thing is when a series is just allowed to live as it was. I hate reopening things and rehashing them for the sake of making money. And I love that the Friends creators and cast decided to do that unanimously. On the topic of money, though, can we please touch on this before we wrap today's episode? This show has generated a freakish amount of money for the people involved in it. Friends has generated $1.4 billion with a B dollars in earnings since its broadcast debut in 1994, according to Forbes. Of that, each of the cast members, all six of them, have received $816 million in pre-tax earnings. That comes down to roughly $136 million each. The show's creators have each earned similar amounts. None of that takes into account the money they have made from syndication rights. So when you see it replayed on Netflix, that's a whole other deal that they all earn money from. Or when you see it reprinted on DVDs, which I know none of us are buying them anymore. (laughs) But back in the day when Friends had just wrapped, people were buying the box sets. Well, that's how I watched it all, by going to the video store and hiring the seasons every time. Yes. So that was another way they made money. The Friends shirts and merchandise you see was another way they made money. So this show continues to generate income for all of them. According to Forbes again, for doing this reunion, rocking up for three days of work, they earned $5 million each again. Yeah, so it's super confusing because the figures are really varying on what they earn from this reunion. It's anywhere between two and five, but I mean, I would take any of those <laughs> millions. Like, I wouldn't be picky about which one I got. I wanted to finish this segment with another quote from Adam Sternberg for Vulture, where he wrote, the central pleasure of watching friends, the feeling of being closeted in a familiar place, free of worry, surrounded by friends, has never been quite so longed for as it is now. I mean... Just harping back to what I said before about watching on Friday night in the first night of lockdown, I could not agree with that more. Yeah, it feels like a safe place, really. It's crawling under a blanket. Yeah, it's very, very warm and soft. Annabelle, are you sad that this is the last time we'll see Friends rebooted? A little bit. I think it's really, like, weird watching it again when you're kind of around the same age that they were at the time. Yeah. Because I remember at the start of the show, the creators were saying we wanted to make a show that was about the friends that kind of fill the family gap, like when that kind of dynamic shifts. And I was sitting there with my best friend of like many, many years and we looked at each other and we were like, oh, and it was just so sweet. (laughs) It is very sweet. And it's like, I'm still sort of in that phase, right, where your friends still are like the central place that you go to Mm. before, I don't know, if you get married, if you want to get married or have kids, if you want to have kids. And I'm like, I love this space. Like it feels more uncomplicated than maybe Mm. life will be later and maybe that's not fair maybe that's just like my rose colored glasses at a period that everybody says is uncomplicated but there was a sense of nostalgia and emotion I felt about that for sure yeah if you are loving this friends chat if you are also mentally in 1994 right now we have very good news for you on Monday we are launching our next scandal series and it is all about Jen Brad and (laughs) Ange so Jennifer Aniston eat your heart out we are doing the love triangle the controversy that surrounded that marriage and how it all fell apart. I can't wait. It's been my favourite so far. Hands down, hands down. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. As always, if you want to support the show, click that green follow button on Spotify or that purple subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Go girl. And as always, follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Participate in Your Safe Friday where you guys can weigh in with your thoughts Tell us, do you love friends? Do you hate it? Where do you sit? I will ignore all the comments that say that you hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. 
It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.